Hey, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you. This morning, actually this hour, is the exact hour I started preaching here 16 years ago. And back then I had a lot more hair. I had uh, three little boys. We had just moved from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And my goodness, has um, God done a mighty work in our church family. And I'm so thankful to be here. It's my honor to lead you into the word right now. And we're going to talk about something that's eating our lunch. And that is fear. Fear is eating our lunch. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, fear is killing us. It's killing us and robbing us of the faith that God would have for us. In the present day culture in America, 20% of adults uh, have an anxiety disorder and 32% of adolescents, those under 18 years of age, are diagnosed with an anxiety order. And those are just the ones who seek help. And so this is killing us. And God wants us to live by faith. Now, we are not going to eradicate all levels of fear. Fear is a natural emotion that happens in a broken world. And so we're not here to just eradicate fear, but we're here to know how in a time of fear to be people of faith. And this is for everyone in the room. I don't know what you're going through, but what's one of your greatest fears that you deal with each day? This past week, what's been one of the greater fears that have ruled the week for you? Maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the fear of disappointing others. My goodness, I know that one because I, uh, if I walk away from Christ, I'm going to try to please people every day. Some of us have the fear of loss, the fear of rejection, the fear of being alone, the fear of being without, fear of missing out, the fear of life without. Fear of obligations and responsibility and commitment. Keep us on the sidelines of a thriving relationship with Christ. Some of us have a fear of financial collapse. Fear of what if this happens. And so anytime something threatens that, we fear. Our heart rates go up, we worry, we go into anxiety. And some of us, if we're not living an authentic life with Christ, we have the fear of getting caught. That's really no place for a follower of Jesus to be. And so God calls us to a much better picture of what faith could look like if we followed him. What's your fear right now? If you could name it, a word, a phrase, what's your fear? Write it down on your notes. Just put it there and we'll come back to it. But I want you to identify it. I think it's important that if we're worried or anxious, we at least list it down. And we present it before the Lord. God, this is what I'm afraid of. I think that's real and that's honest. And, and don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty. God loves his children to tell, us, tell him what we're afraid of. And by the way, he already knows, but it's still good so that you know what you're afraid of. As we talk about this, I want to talk to you about something unrelated to us today. And that's something that happened several thousand years ago in uh, Israel. And this was the children of Israel, and we're looking at this time, at a key time in history, of the conquest of the promised land. At this time, the leadership from Moses is transferred to a man named Joshua. 
And Joshua was Moses' right-hand guy. He saw a lot of what Joshua did, uh, what, what Moses did. He walked and saw the miracles of God out of Egypt, and he even spied out the promised land when Moses sent him there. That's detailed in Exodus, uh, excuse me, Numbers uh, chapter 13. But here, he's going to lead the people into the promised land. That was his responsibility, his goal to do that. And God made a promise to Joshua. He said in Joshua 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua 1, verse 3. He said to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. Think about this. This promise that God had given was a promise he made 490 years before Joshua took the promised land. 490 years. That's twice the age of the United States of America. And so that was a long time ago. And the question is, is will Joshua follow with the faith that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses operated with? But here was the promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. So think about all the nerves that are in your feet and all the different terrain that Joshua would take. And he would realize with every step in that promised land, God prepared it. God would give it to him. Now, this was land that was really contested. It was land that was rich with, with provision and, and it was bountiful. God even described it to Abraham as a land flowing of, with milk and honey. It was overflow. You would be filled if you walked into this land. And so he made this promise to Joshua. He said, in the midst of fear, because there are going to be people who are stronger than you in the land that you will need to take, and there are going to be challenges greater than your capacity, here's what I want you to remember. He said this, in Joshua 1, verse 5, he says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, Joshua, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And so the life of Joshua was really going to be, are you going to take the invitation of God to be a man of faith in the midst of fear, or are you going to flee? Are you going to be afraid? And I think that that same thing is a reality for us. Are we going to be people of fear or faith? Do you want your identity based on your practice of life, based on this future week? Do you want to be a person of fear who's ruled by fear or a person who takes God at his word and is a person of faith? See, whenever we have challenges in front of us that exceed the capacities within us, we're going to have the opportunity for fear. And that's why it's so important that we realize it's not in us welling up the courage. It's not just in us being courageous. It's not just us going, wow, I can meet that. No, fear is when I don't know what to do and I don't know how to address this but God can. That's where fear moves to faith. And the whole relationship that you and I have with Christ is based on this 
reality is that we have an issue with sin that's a challenge to get over. And although some people think we can be good enough, we can go to church enough, we can perform and meet a requirement, an arbitrary requirement. Maybe it's where your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and you're in, but, but we meet an unattainable task of being perfect. And that challenge can either move you into being fearful or to be a person of faith. We come to Christ because we choose faith. We choose to trust in him to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. And that's where we operate. And God says every day is a decision to operate in faith. When the challenges in front of you exceed the capacity within you. Now, let's take a look at the land. This is the biblical land here. And uh, most of the events of the scripture happen in this area of the world. It's the Mediterranean Sea. You can see the boot of Italy up there in the, on the left. But here is the land that we're talking about today. It's present day Israel. And it has the Mediterranean to the west. And then within it, I'll just do a close up here. We have the Sea of Galilee, that little body of water up in the top, top there, which is a freshwater lake. And it flows down through the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is dead. Nothing lives in it. Nothing lives in it. It's 11 times saltier than ocean water. And so if you go into the Dead Sea today, you can't swim in it. You have to float in it. And it's like floating in jello. Some of you, that's on your bucket list to float in a vat of jello. Go to the Dead Sea. That's what it's like. Now, when any, any fresh water flowed down into the Jordan, once it hit the salt sea or the, the, uh, the, the dead sea, it would immediately be useless because the salt would just kill it. And so right now in, in Israel, they basically divert most of the Jordan River into crops and providing for their country with, with fruit and crops. And so right now, if you were to go to this place where they were, we, they would walk over, it'd be just a little trickle. But when they were called to go over, they were called to go over on the north side of the Dead Sea to a, a, right across from a city named Jericho. And Jericho was a very walled up city. And you may have heard if you grew up in church, that whole song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a tumbling down. Okay, you just got to sing it like or say it like that. So they actually crossed right across from from uh, Jericho and the Dead Sea at that time was during the flood stage. We don't know what this looks like today because most of it's been diverted. But as recent as 1935, there were flooding in this area of the Dead Sea. Here's a picture taken from that. And so that was about the size of the Jordan River in which they crossed at this time. And God told them to cross it, even though it seemed like it would drown them. And so he told the priests to go and... Take that step of faith with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was this golden box with these rods or or poles that would hold it. And only the priests could do it. And as they stepped into the water, God did something that reminded them of how he brought them through the Red Sea back in Egypt. He walled up the Jordan River and they walked across on dry land on the rocks of the riverbed. And the priests with the Ark of the Covenant stood there in the middle of that river where it was the riverbed and everyone passed by. And then Joshua, he took 12 stones, each representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he 
asked each representative from each tribe to pick up a stone and to carry it up out of that river, and he would build a tower with those 12 stones. They were probably larger than this stone, but I'm a wimp. I can't lift any more than this right now, okay? So they were probably larger than this. And then he actually took 12 other stones and constructed that same kind of tower on the riverbed of of the Jordan. And it's said in the scripture that they remain there today. But he took these out and each of the representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel, when they got to the camp on the other side, he constructed a tower of these rocks. And he would, (laughs) sorry, big ones on bottom, right? Um, You would think after four services, I would get it right. Okay, there we go. All right, I'm no Joshua here. Okay, so he built that. And he put it in the camp and he told the parents of the children, whenever you put up something like this, a kid's going to ask, what's that? What's that? Every parent would say, hey, that's when God walled up the Jordan River and he made dry ground for us to walk across. And God provided this land for us. And so they were called as a people to not be people of fear, but to be people of faith. And as I think about this, Fear is, or faith is not the absence of fear. In other words, our goal today, as it was in that day, they're going to have times of fear. There's going to be times when you're worried and there are times when you're anxious. What do you do in those times? And it's a choice. It's a choice. Number one, to either forget or apply your faith. To forget or apply your faith. Remember what God told Remember what God told Joshua? He said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. By the way, be strong and courageous is mentioned three times in this passage. And the Lord your God is with you wherever you go is mentioned twice in this passage. God repeats things because we forget And our loving Heavenly Father wants us never to forget that he's with us and that he provides what we need in a moment when we fear. What do you fear? Be real with God on that. And don't don't let that define you. Don't let fear define you. Secondly, fear either flees from God or it invites God in. When Joshua heard this from God, he went to the people and he said, this is what God said to me. He said, let's be strong and courageous. Let's take this land. God will give it to you. And this is what the people did. They took him up on this invitation. He says in Joshua, they say in Joshua 1.16, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So they accepted the invitation by faith and they decided we will be with you. Now, there's something wrong with this statement. Because if you track their history, did they really obey everything Moses commanded them to do? I mean, really? I mean, their history is, doggone it, Moses, why'd you take us out of Egypt? We're going to die here. Look at Pharaoh's army's coming when they're at the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and brings them through. 
Doggone it, Moses, this food, this food, it's manna. What is it? That's what God named it, manna. That's what Hebrew is for, for that word, that phrase. What is it? And God provided for them. But this manna's not good. Doggone it, would you want us to die here in the wilderness? They were people who complained. They were people who were rebellious people. God called them stiff-necked. That's not something I'd want written in the Bible about me. And yet, this shows kind of the grace of God, where God is willing to take, even based on the failures of commitments in the past, God is God will use a commitment today to be a person of faith over fear. And, sec- and thirdly, faith either melts or it molds faith. One of the common phrases in the Old Testament when people got afraid was, our hearts were melted. Have you ever heard that term before? That fear makes your heart melt? If you've ever struggled with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about because your heart rate goes up when you worry. It robs your brain, I mean, just physiologically, it robs the brain of a good supply of blood and oxygen. So you, you're processing, it affects your processing. And, and then the worry and your heart, and you would much rather just pull back than engage by faith. Well, it's that whole picture that when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, that first place, that first place that they were going to take, that God was going to provide for them, he sends two spies and he sends them to a prostitute named Rahab. And by the way, don't ever use this to validate that the Bible calls us to go to prostitutes, okay? Because you can't go there with this passage. But I think why they went to a prostitute, it was probably the only place a stranger could visit in a, in a city like that where no one would go, huh, who's that? No, you guys are there all the time. And so they went and instead of using her services, they told her what they were there to do, to spy out this place. And this is what Rahab, a pagan Canaanite, said about their God. It says, he, she said, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There's that phrase. Our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. And by the way, that was said in much like a profession of faith was said. Here is someone whose heart was melted. She goes, I know your God is better and there's no God like your God in heaven above or on earth below. Do you know what this was in there for? So that when they came back, they said, look, even our enemies fear God. Israel, will you fear him? And will you trust him to provide this for you? See, fear does that. It either melts faith or it molds it. So when you fear, could it be that God might invite you into a greater level of faith than you've ever been? Because I think this. Faith will only grow to the level in which we trust. And fear is sometimes at the bedrock of our existence. And if we're always worried and if we're always anxious and we're never trusting and we're never people of faith, we're going to miss out on everything. The promises of God, the goodness of God, we're going to miss out on that. And so as we look at this, I want to make some statements about faith. And then I want to talk to you about what you fear the most and how you can move from fear to faith. Faith, though, first of all, is living. It's not dead. It can't be dead. 
You know, a lot of people think that faith is you going to church, checking the box, I did my God thing. Some of us grew up in a church where faith is very personal. We don't talk about politics or religion in any environments apart from the church, where it's safe, where everyone agrees with us, where everyone believes like us. And folks, that just doesn't cut it. That's not. So when Joshua built that that stones of remembrance in Gilgal, he... He did it to remind them, folks, faith is living. Faith is trusting in a God who's provided in the past and he's providing now for us. So are we people who practice what we profess? That has to be a reality for us. Now, God has brought us here and I love this environment, but I don't live for this environment. We ultimately pray for you each week that as God gathers us, he will then send us. And in a few minutes, if I stop preaching, you'll be sent. You'll be sent out into this world to practice, to live out your faith. And here's the deal. Anything, anyone can say anything they want to in a safe environment. When you go through a situation that just knocks you off your feet, that you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, that's when your faith matters. That's what your faith has to take that next step in doing. Faith is living. And that's why it's important that we are the same person in here that we are out there. There's no difference. That's why um, it's important that like when I'm at home and I'm trying to watch the Olympics and I'm trying to set up an antenna because I cut my cable and I'm trying to put it in there and it's not working and I'm stripping it and I'm getting more and more angry and I say things a rare pastor should not say. It matters there just as much as it matters when the lights are on here. So we're people of faith, right? And faith has to live. And so let me give you a definition of what faith looks like in the face of fear. Faith is living with a greater fear in a greater God with a greater promise for a greater good. And I want to unpack these, but I want to give them to you so you can fill in the blanks. (laughs) And we'll move through them. Let's take a look at this first one. Faith is living with a greater fear than the things around you. And you know, as we look at this, when Joshua built this and he told the families to say to their children, he said, tell your children when your kids ask, "What what is this all about? Tell them in Joshua 4, verse 23, says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, he was saying, ultimately, we've got to fear God more than we fear anything else. Now, the one thing I want to talk to you about is what this fear of God is not. And it's, it's probably not, God, I messed up, don't get me today. Or God, I'm at church so you don't mess up my week. That's the wrong type of fear. But it is a respect and it is a priority. And it is that you fear life without God and life without his word and life outside his will. And living outside of his promises that we are people who live with a greater fear for God than we do anything else. And by the way, what we fear, we worship. 
What we fear becomes the priority. Everything, heaven and earth are changed in our lives for the things that we fear. If I fear the rejection of people and I long for the approval of people, I will serve people over God every day, every day. If I fear being alone and if I were single, if I fear being alone more than I fear following Christ, it's probably going to end me up in some pretty destructive relationships. Why? Because I don't want to be alone and I'll compromise God's path for me every time. If I fear that over God. And so we need to have a greater fear in a greater God. In a greater God. Now, look at how this plays out in the story. In Joshua 5, verse 1, as soon as the children of Israel cross over the Jordan Sea, Jordan River, excuse me, it says this. It says, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea... When they heard that the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they crossed over, here's that phrase again, their hearts melted because there was no longer any spirit in them because the people of Israel. Now think about this. You cross over. You have not fought one battle yet. And here's the front headlines of the newspaper. They're here. Yeah. Their hearts melted. Israel, if your enemies are fearful of God, if they fear your God, do you. God has to be our highest priority in times of fear. And so, therefore, God can't be an afterthought. He can't be like the American picture of God. I keep trying, I get to the end of my rope, and then I turn to God. That's last resort. He needs to be our first thought. It's like Psalm 56, verse 3 says... When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. See that circuit switch? When my heart rate goes up, I put my trust in God. When I am afraid, I worry, and then I talk to my friends, and I write on Facebook, and, and, and then I, I don't sleep at night. No, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in God. It's not if you're afraid. You, when? We're, we're all going to fear this week. What do we do when we fear? put my trust in God because he's greater. He's greater than the thing I'm worried about. And he's a greater God with a greater promise. That's the other thing that the Israelites were called to. And in in, uh, Joshua chapter five, three events happen. One of them is PG 14 and the other ones are just plain incredible. Uh, The first one is PG 14. They arrive. This is a second generation from those who came out of Egypt. If you remember the story, the Moses way back when they got out of Egypt 40 years previous was told to take 12 spies, one from each of the tribe of Israel, and they were to go to scout out the land. And they were just to come back with an observation report. How was the land? How were the people? What do the cities look like? What does the produce of the land look like? And they came back. They were not told to give a commentary. But all 12 came back, and 10 of the 12, the majority report said this, the land is awesome. Look at the cluster of grapes we brought back. The f- it's better than we have ever imagined, but the people are also stronger than us and they're, gr- they're taller than us. They have technological advances far. They're in the Iron Age. We're still in the Bronze Age and we cannot take them. Ten of them 
majority report said, we can't take it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we must take the land and we should go take it now. And the people sided with the ten. And in fear, they pulled back from the promised land. And so God gave them more of what they wanted. He gave them more fear and he gave them more time, like 40 years. And they died. They died in the wilderness. And so this new group, this new group of young ones rose up and they would be the people who would fight for the promised land. But the problem is, is they weren't circumcised. That's the PG 14 on this. And so God said, circumcise your sons. And so they were. And this is a promise of God. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Yes, I can say circumcision in church. It's in the Bible. Work with me, people. Okay. And as the foreskins were cut off of the male children, I even went with that today. Okay. Don't quote me. And they were, it was a signify. It was a sign, a physical sign that God had cut away their sin and he had taken their sin and he has set them apart to be and make a mark on society in the world. And all the nations on earth would be blessed by them. And so all those boys and all those young men were circumcised at Gilgal. And this is what God said when they did this. He came back to his promise and he said this, today, Israel, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal, which literally means rolled away in Hebrew. God said, you know what? You are a new generation. You will not be defined as fear and unfaithfulness, as stiff-necked. You will be courageous and you will be strong and I will fight for you and you will get to experience my power through your lives because you are people of faith. I've rolled that away. Remember that, Israel. I'm your God. You are my people. The second thing that happened is just has to do with provision. Remember how God had provided for them in the wilderness. And he provided them with something called manna, which we talked about. What is it? God said, that's the name. What is it? What's for breakfast? What is it? What's for lunch? What is it? Manna. And so he provided for them and provided every day for them. It was new every morning in which when Jesus teaches us how to pray in the Lord's prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's, it's rooted back in his daily provision of manna. But when they came into the promised land, he stopped the manna and he gave them the land. And this is land of promise to him, land flowing with milk and honey, land that they, when they ate, they would be full. <laughs> Think about this. Before, when they were wandering in fear, What did God provide? Food, but it wasn't the greatest. They kind of complained after the while. It kind of tasted like our old communion wafers. Okay? Do you know what I mean, people? Yeah, okay, it's going to keep us alive. But when they moved into the promised land, it was awesome. This is, do you see what happened? When they became people of faith, God's promise just bloomed in their lives. And then the third thing that happened is as they're walking, they come across this man. And this man was a warrior and he stood there with his, with his sword outstretched and Joshua saw him and they came up. He says, are you for us or are you against us? And the man said this, and he said in Joshua five, verse 14, no, didn't answer the question. He says, no, 
I, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Where else did this happen? This happened with Moses, burning bush. Moses, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. Who is this? Who is this man? This is a pre-incarnation picture of Jesus in the flesh. I will fight for you for us or against us. In other words, you want to fall in line or are you against us? He said, neither. No, you get behind me because this is my battle. That's what it meant. That's the picture. We go through life thinking we're all in in control. I got to make these decisions. I got to do. And God says, no, get behind me. I'll fight this battle for you. We need to be people of faith, trusting in his promises for us. It's greater promise than we can imagine when we live by faith over fear. And then the final thing is for a greater good. And the greater good is really drawn out in one person throughout this story. We hadn't seen him since the book of Numbers, but now we see him in Joshua chapter 14. His name is Caleb. Remember the two who came back and said, we must take it and we should take it and we'll take it now. That was Joshua and Caleb. Here, after they defeated those cities around them, which started with Jericho and went up to Ai and all those other places that they finally took. Now, the latter portion of the book of Joshua is people receiving their possession, receiving the inheritance, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And here comes Caleb. We haven't seen him for 45 years, and here he shows up. And he's now a man of 85. He was 40 when he spied out the land. Now he's 85. Do we have anyone 80 or above in this room here? 80 or above. Just raise your hand. Come on. I don't, I don't mind. Yes. We need more of you here. Our average age is 28 at Fellowship Bible Church. But we need people like Caleb who walked for God for their lifetime and they never gave up. We need stories of faith. We need people who live by faith, not by sight, and talk about it. Share it with us as your children so we get the passion that has been lived out in you, a living faith. But this is what Caleb does. He goes up to Joshua and before all the people, and I love this phrase, he goes, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, love this, I'm going to put some emphasis because this is probably how his voice sounded. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war. And for going and for coming. <laughs> Remember city slickers? <laughs> yeah. I remember a guy like this in my life. His name is Chuck Preston. And when Chuck spoke, he spoke like that. We're here to advance the gospel on earth. No one dare defy Chuck Preston. <laughs> I kind of have the fear of Chuck in me. You ask Chuck to talk about anything, he's going to talk about the gospel. We need to be people like this. So let me ask you this. If you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, 
What do you want the next 45 years of your life to look like if God gives you that? Because you'll never know. You'll never know if you live by fear. And man, one of my greatest, it's not a top fear, but it's one there when I go negative. I don't want to be that angry old man when I'm 85 years old. And a lot of it's a result of living by fear rather than being a man of faith. I don't want to be that guy who criticizes the younger generation. I mean, come on, church. Let's get over that. Let's come and bless a younger generation, pour our lives into a younger generation, live so strong and courageously that a younger generation sees our God for who he is and wants to follow him. And we can pass the baton. We can leave a legacy that's a godly legacy built on the promises and the, a greater good. It took Caleb. He wandered for... The guy's life was limited for 40 years in the wilderness. And he, <laughs> can you imagine that? He resisted the urge to say, I told you so. I told you so every day. And when God delivered the land, he said, I am just like I was at 40. You'll never know. And can I just say this? The people around you will never know if you live by fear. One of the things that's caught by people who love us and caught by the people who we influence is the fears we live by. You want your kids to worry? Worry. You want your kids to doubt whether God is good enough? You doubt whether God is good enough. You want your family to trust in Christ, you trust in Christ and you live your whole heart so that your kids say, I want to follow my mom and my dad. See, your kids get excited over what you get excited about. And if there's nothing that excites you, only things that fear you, they'll catch that too. Why would they ever follow what you've taught them if we aren't living it? And so we're called to live by faith not fear. By the way, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to wonder how God's going to do it. But have a greater fear in a greater God with a greater promise for a greater good. I want to share a story by a woman, young woman named Summer Stanley. And I just want to prepare you for it because it's more vulnerable than we've gone with our stories for more recently. And one of the things I talked about being afraid of was being found out or getting caught. And Summer has dealt with uh, an issue of sin in her life that she's going to share here. But it's fascinating to see how God used just a confession and repentance from that and turned her life from fear to faith. Take a look at this story. Hi, I'm Summer Stanley. Um, I grew up here in Topeka with a really wonderful Bible-believing family. Um, I went to church, and I dedicated my life to Jesus when I was four. And as life went on, as it does, um, I sort of fell away and laid my life at Jesus' feet again when I was in eighth grade and um, started learning what it looked like to follow God in my life as well as on Sunday mornings. As I've gotten older, especially during my last couple years of college, I was reintroduced to the fact that I'm messed up. <laughs> I'm super broken. It doesn't matter what sort of face I put on. Um, my baggage is still baggage and there's still skeletons in the closet. There was one night I was sitting with one of my friends and I said, hey, I have to tell you something. And I spilled it all. I 
started struggling with um, pornography, which it was something that I was really embarrassed about. This is what's going on. This is what I'm struggling with. This is how it's affecting me. And I know that this is not what God wants for my life. And then she said two of the most powerful words that have ever come out of anyone's mouth, and they were me too. And God used those words and the power that they held to change my life. That day, moving forward, there's been nothing except for a conquering. Um, God has radically changed the way I saw myself, the way I saw other women, the way I saw people in general, because I knew that I wasn't the only one that was struggling with this. Through the healing, through the hurt, Jesus just reminded me over and over again that as far as the East is from the West, everything's done. Um, That there was no place that I could ever go that was too far for Him to reach me. That no matter what I presented to the world, um, and in contrast how broken I was on the inside, He was there, and he was walking with me, and he said, Hey, I know what's really going on. I'm still going to love you here. So now that it's been um, a couple years that I've walked with the Lord through healing, I am excited to see the freedom that comes from, from healing. It's just exciting to be walking down the mountain instead of up it. So you just saw someone move from an angle of, I don't want to get caught, this is my little secret, into confessing it, right? Confessing your sins one to another, that you might be healed. Uh, Because when we confess, he's faithful and just, that's a promise, right? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So fear keeps us away from the promises and the greater good of God. And faith moves us right into them. And every day of our lives needs that transaction to happen because we never outgrow our need for the gospel, the healing hand of God in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we trust you in these areas that we don't know what to do, the areas that that where the challenges in front of us exceed the capacity in us. And Lord, every day is a reality of that. And so every day, would you just remind us that you're with us that you are a God who is alive and at work, a, a greater God with a greater promise for a greater good. And Lord, although we may not fully understand that, we're willing to trust you and take the next step today. Build faith. Mold us as people of faith and build a legacy of faith that, that moves on in the lives of people after we're gone. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.